This is a Broad Pods production. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Today we are bringing you the first of our in-depth interview series. We're calling it Broad Radio Amazing Lives. It's our opportunity to explore someone's amazing life. And ahead of the AFLW Grand Final this weekend, we welcome philanthropist, businesswoman and the person, one of the people instrumental in creating AFLW, Susan Alberti, she'll be joining us. Also, comedian Bev Killick is dropping in to say hello, just a couple of weeks out from having a stroke live on stage. And later on in the show, we invite you to call us 1300-8-BROAD, or I should say it's 1300-827-623, if it's too hard to get your head around that. Shelley, I'm so pleased that you can join us as our co-host today, because uh, we started the year with you and then of course you are a teacher so you kind of had to start back at work and so Tuesday mornings wasn't really a great time for you not really so yeah I have to wait for school holidays to be on this beautiful program but um hopefully we can make some other magic happen on another time yeah it's absolutely a joy to have you let me tell you a little bit that's happened since you were last on the show we've launched a podcast version of broad radio so you can catch up on every episode with broad radio on the go it is available wherever you get your podcasts and if you're watching on youtube we'd love it if you liked and subscribed us if you're watching on facebook chuck us a like that's always going to help it's always really lovely to have you a part of our show Okay, so Shell, you are a teacher and um, so you're juggling a lot in your life. Um, but what I, what I love about your work as a teacher is that you really, um, your focus is, um, I don't know, creating an equal start for every child. Yeah, well, I believe every child should have the opportunity to be the best version of themselves and being a part of that and creating these amazing humans that can walk out into the world and believe in themselves and and create their own opportunities because of the inner strength that they have and, and the knowledge and the education that they've achieved in my space and the space of other teachers. I mean, it's the greatest gift um, to myself, but it's also the greatest gift I can give them for them to be 
their best version and it's a joy every day. Oh, you are one of the most beautiful humans that anybody could meet. And um, you're, <laughs> you're, no, but truly your belief in how you're contributing to the next generation of Australians is just, um, it's really lovely to, to witness. And I feel honoured to have you as a part of Broad Radio. Thank you. It's just who I am. I just love children and I believe in our future and I believe in a better future for every generation. Yeah, gorgeous. Well, today we are bringing our very first in-depth interview series and we're calling this Broad Radio Amazing Lives. And um, I tell you what, you and I love AFLW, Shell, um, and we wouldn't have it without this woman, without Susan Alberti. I know that she's a friend of yours. That's right. She's a dear friend. She's a beautiful woman. I'm looking forward to catching up with her now. That's right. So we'll be uh, bringing you the first in our Broad Radio Amazing Lives after this. Well, we absolutely love AFLW here at Broad Radio. We also love women who are incredible leaders and carry with them stories of great resilience. And our next guest embodies all of those three things. We absolutely are overjoyed to welcome to Broad Radio. She is a philanthropist, a businesswoman, and was instrumental in creating AFLW. Susan Alberti, it's lovely to see you. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. So, Susan, this Saturday for the grand final in the AFLW, we've got Adelaide fronting up against Brisbane in what is very much echoes of the very first grand final that we saw in 2017. Um, what have you seen in that time? What, what are the big moments of AFLW's development? What, what do you recall over the last five oh, years? so much that I've seen. I, mean, I do recall going to that first um, grand final and wondering, you know, um, is this really going to happen? I've waited so long to see women be given the opportunity to, to show what they can do, and um, that was incredibly emotional. But um, then, of course, the uh, Bulldog girls won the grand final. And then I was in Adelaide for that grand final when I saw thousands and thousands of people coming into the ground and thinking, this place, this has just built up so much momentum, AFLW football. And I remember looking at Nicole Livingston and saying, Nicole, I think you better open up that grandstand. We're going to have a stampede. And they kept coming and coming and coming, thousands and thousands. I couldn't believe it. But apart from the crowds and my attendance at those games, what I have seen, the evolution of women in AFL football, the standard of play, just the, uh, the, the better coaching, the better facilities, the better everything. To me, it's so exciting every week to see the women improving week by week by week. And I sit back in awe and think, wow, you know, and then I look at the men. I never like to compare because it's <laughs> games, it's women versus women. And I think our skills are incredible. When you think these women are part-time players, most of them have jobs, uh, have children, families, studying, and look what they're able to produce each week. So for me, it's been a journey of over... 50 years, uh, I should really say that, but it has been more than 50 years for me. But to see women now, given the opportunity that they should have been given many, many years ago, to see them just flourishing and just getting better each week, it just, I, I can't express in words just how I feel. Now, Susan, behind the barriers, I'm 
throughout the 50 years, there would have been barriers. What are some of the barriers that you've had to overcome in the world of AFLW? Well, I can talk about my own experience. It goes back to when I was the age of 15, when I had to give up playing footy. I was a member of the cheer squad, the Western Bulldogs cheer squad. We used to play each Sunday against other teams in the cheer squad. And I can recall it was boys and girls and, you know, boys at 15 are pretty tough. And my dad made me give up football. And um, again, he was a pretty tough guy. My dad was a policeman. And I didn't talk to him for two weeks because I always wanted to play footy. So I was a grump for two weeks. And actually, Dad was right. I was being belted up. But I never, ever got over that feeling. My brother was allowed to go on and do whatever he wanted. He went on and became an excellent umpire. He thinks he's a good umpire. But anyhow, my, <laughs> my, my father was an umpire as well. And I had an umpiring family. But I always wanted to play footy. I loved football. I played all sports particularly football was VFL football was my great love and it never left me until there was a time in my life where I was given an opportunity where I could truly make a tangible difference I think the story books will tell and history books will tell that I was at a luncheon and I saw the women were on their knees ready to fold in AFL football VFL VFLW if you want to call it that and I remember they were about to fold and I thought well here's my opportunity you've waited all these years do something make a difference so I wrote them out a cheque and then, of course, I kept that going for a number of years. And then I sponsored our girls, the Western Bulldogs, to, to go and play the game. And, of course, some wonderful person at Melbourne did something similar. And, um, we, of course, that was the exhibition match and look has happened ever since. But I do recall it my own when I was on the board of the Bulldogs. They were not particularly interested in women's footy because when I asked for funding, I was told, well, what if we take the resources away from the men? I said... Don't worry, I'll find I'll find sponsorship. Within a couple of weeks, we had a half a million dollars. So mm. other clubs have followed since. So it's a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer, and we've seen. I mean, from that very first game at Icon Park, that was a lockout, and hilariously, the men who seemed to be at the top of AFL were surprised by that. None of us in the crowd were. <laughs> Shelley, and I believe Shelley, you were there as a Carlton supporter. I was there as a Collingwood supporter. Um, yeah, we've seen the popularity grow and grow. It's just so exciting and, and we're really indebted to you and all the people that have made this a reality, Susan. I wonder that very first moment of, of being told you can't do something that you really are passionate about. I think all women have that moment that we remember where it was just, it, you know, it smarts. It just hurts to be told, what? We can't do that. I wonder if that was the driver and all this time, how many doors have you had slamming in your face when you oh, suggested? Just back. I mean, I've been in the building industry for 45 years and I was the lone woman. So I've been used to working with men. Uh, so it's not been something new to me, but I'm a person that never takes no for an answer. If I believe in something, I'll just keep on going and going and going. Yes, I've had many doors slammed. I remember seeing the previous CEO and I think he thought I was some sort of nutcase when I walked in and when I walked out of there I felt like I'd been to the school headmaster and smacked over the wrist for being a naughty girl. Um, what do I know about women's football? Well, what don't I know about women's football? I've played the game, I've supported the women and um, we've got some incredible talent out there and when you look at the numbers now around the country, about 600,000, well I'm not on my own am I? I mean there's so many other women who want to play the game so lots of doors slammed but I've been used to that in the building industry. It's the toughest year you could possibly be in, in building, uh, having to deal with men every day of the week. But I've always remained true to myself. I've always remained a lady and they've treated me accordingly. And if they don't like it, well, tough. I'll just keep on going and I'll keep pushing. 
opening doors, they can be slammed as much as they want, but I'm very resilient. I grew calluses, I think, when I was about 15 on my hands. <laughs> so before we touch on the building industry, tell us about the Bulldogs and why you love them so much. It's a very simple story. My father was stationed in the police force at North Melbourne, the blue and white. And this is a really strange story, but it's the truth. And I was six years old, and that was a long time ago, and I said to my brother, I don't like blue and white, and Dad wants us to barrack for, for the shin boners. And I never did as I was told. Oh, I did occasionally. And I said to him, how about we go for red, white and blue? And Richard and I, we sealed the deal when he was seven and I was six, and we barracked for the red, white and blue, which was Footscray. And that is the honest truth. I've never lived in the west of Melbourne. I have always lived in the east of Melbourne, and that was the start of my support of the Western Bulldogs, red, white and blue. Well, they're very fortunate for it, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so speaking about your incredible influence in the building industry as well Susan I know that you are a patron for women in construction and you've had an incredibly successful and long career as a leader in construction what sorts of barriers did you come up against in your time because I know you started working side by side with your husband at a time yeah, when women yeah. weren't even allowed to have bank like apply for bank loans and well, now mm. And then since then, you picked up the pieces when your husband tragically died. So well, what sorts of things? Yeah. I remember when he died, I had them circling, all the vultures were circling, particularly the banks. What would this woman know about building? What would she know about finance? I mean, I had 300 staff when I was thrust into that leadership role, which I'd never been trained for. I'd been the girl in the back office doing all the finances for years, but never actually on site and running the show. Plus, we also had three other businesses and I had another 100 staff. So I had about 400 staff that I, had, I was, you know, I was looking after. So it was a very difficult time for me, but I just continued on the way I've always done in my life. I've um, focused on what the job at hand, uh, and I had a lot of work that had to be completed. I knew it had to be done, otherwise I would have gone under, and I didn't want that to happen. And I know that my husband, uh, he would have been the same if it had have happened to me, he would have continued on, which is what I did for about 10 years in the construction industry. Uh, I had to prove to myself that I could do this, I could do it on my own. Uh, I went into a bit of residential as well, but mainly our work was industrial and commercial, very large developments on our estate um, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. So it was just, um, I was learning on the job. It was tough. I had a lot of sickness around me in my family. It was very tough emotionally, but I've just had like, I knew I had to complete these jobs and if I didn't do it, that would be the end of me and end of these people that depended on me for their employment. So leadership, I learned about it very, very early on in my life. And it was something I was never really trained for. But I joined an organisation, the um, CEO syndicate, and they're all men. They're the most remarkable men I have ever met. And they supported me along the, way, the road. Um, uh, I was go able to go in there and talk openly and freely about my concerns about the business and the direction I was heading in, and they really were wonderful men to me, as were the men when I was at uh, getting my building licence because I didn't have a licence. I was surrounded by the most incredibly supportive men. Um, and I was very good in the paper side of paper roll of things, and I was able to help a lot of them. They were um, migrants to this country, didn't speak a lot of English, and I'd learnt Italian. I'm not Italian. I was born in Australia to Australian parents, and I helped them with their paperwork, and they embraced me in the workshop and 
those men were the most remarkable men I've ever met. And to this day, I'm still very grateful to them. Um, and I, I'm still friends with them. I'm still friends with a number of the CEO syndicate, although I don't go there anymore. I feel I can, I can manage pretty much on my own now. And, um, so it's been quite a journey for me. It's been very tough. It was, a, it was a male-dominated industry and I had to deal with unions. My husband, all of a sudden, whenever we had to deal with unions, he did not speak any English. He had to go off. <laughs> he played that card more than once. <laughs> so I so learned Susan, really well. Yeah, oh, beautiful. So what what have you seen in changes in the gender equality in the construction industry and, and what still needs to change? Oh, a lot needs to change, Shelley. In the last 25 years, we've only seen 2% of trade in trades in this country are women. 25 years has been the same. There are a lot of young girls out there who would like to be, be apprenticed and do the trades, but one, we've got a problem within the TAFE organisations where we don't have enough teachers. Also, there's a problem at the schools. Um, a lot of counsellors have the parents come and talk about what can their daughter do, and some of them are that way inclined, want to work with their hands, and it's it's seen as a, a sort of barrier. And unless you've got a university education, you're an absolute failure, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I didn't attend university in the 60s. You were not encouraged. In fact, you were discouraged to go to university. My brother went on. Um, you know, women in my age in the 60s would either do nursing, teaching, and even if you're a teacher and want to go off and get married, you had to that stop working, or nursing. There are the options when I was growing up, whereas now young girls at school have got the options of doing anything, whether it be tertiary. I'm not knocking that. My daughter went to Melbourne University. But there are so many young girls who would like to do trades, but... Parents come in and it's suggested, oh, no, 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 my daughter's not going to do that. Well, I think they need to change their way of thinking that there are opportunities out there. Try and get a tradesperson in this country. Just try and get one tomorrow, for example. Mm. You cannot get them. We've got young women now in the trades, and that's why I'm so involved with Tradeswomen Australia and supporting them because there's a pent-up demand out there, one for tradespeople and two young women who want to take on and become apprentices. So we've got to provide the pathways, provide the, the amenities for them, which is happening with a lot of our larger building companies, not so much in the smaller ones, but it's changing, changing very slowly. But for when I was in the industry back in the 60s, well, there were no women. I looked around, there wasn't a, a female apprentice anywhere. It has changed, but 25 years, 2%, not good enough. Needs to change. And do we need somehow to... Um instill in young girls and young women a sense of confidence when they walk into a space where they may be outnumbered by guys? Absolutely. And that's what I do. I talk to them all the time when I go and visit schools and say, if this is what, when you wake up in the morning and this is what turns you on and makes you happy, you go and do it. I see, and this is no disrespect for university students. As I said, my daughter did a master's at Melbourne University, but a lot of our students come out of university with degrees but no jobs and they're really it's not what they really wanted to do so we need to inform these young girls at school that there are so many opportunities out there and you can have an incredibly successful career and life in a trade and you can you know be not only just you'll be happy within yourself too and you'll be doing something you really enjoy doing so we need to instill into our young girls at a very early age and I think Shelley you know this better than anyone with that children at school. They can achieve anything, they can do anything if they set their mind to it. Mm. And I know that's how 
when I was younger. I was a bit, I suppose I was a bit different to most kids. And I came from a school of hard knocks. And to survive, I had to work very, very hard. It was not easy. Um, so I guess sometimes we make it a bit too easy for our children, you know. Um, <laughs> yes, so I can be guilty of that. I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Um, <laughs> we do. And, and to survive, I had to do what I did and just take the hard knocks and just keep on going. And I think, I guess you can see now, it's flowed right throughout my life with the building, trade, sport, business. It's called fighting for survival and not giving up, ever giving up. And we need to instill in our children that they need to stay focused, do what really they enjoy doing. They don't have to have a degree to be successful. And some parents, I'm not saying all, live through their children. Mm. Well, that's really not what you should be doing. You should let your children grow. I mean, Shelley, you know this better than me. You're a teacher. I'm just a businesswoman. I know where I've come from and I watch children, watch how they evolve, I watch the grandchildren. You know, I want them to be happy. I want them to be happy in whatever they choose in their lives, not because they've got three degrees or whatever, just do what they want to do in their lives and be happy. Feel fulfilled. Well, passion is necessary, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Shelley. It really is. Susan, we can't let you go without mentioning in your story of resilience, of course, is the Susan Alberti Medical Research Foundation, which has raised, I believe, over $100 million. That's an unbelievable amount. Twice um, $100 million plus. Incredible. And you established that in honour of your only daughter, Danielle, who tragically died no. at 32. No, I, I already had that established before she died. Uh, I was chair of a major organisation and an international one. And um, I wanted to make sure there was no middleman. I choose to fund all my overheads. That's my choice. Any dollar that I raise goes straight to, to whoever's made the, um, whoever I believe is the one that should, that should be the recipient of the funding, whether it be diabetes, cancer, heart, whatever. And I am, that's what I do every day of the week now. I um, visit laboratories, uh, investigate medical research as to what's going on here and around the world. Uh, I lobby hard uh, government for funding for medical research. M more broadly now, not necessarily diabetes, it just happened to be that I'd already started my foundation because I didn't like the idea of a middleman and uh, percentages going where I felt all the money could go to straight to the source. So yes, I guess the continuation of my foundation um, you could say is in honour of Danielle and I know she would have wanted me to continue my work but it's something I've been doing now for 40 years so it's innate. I love what I do, I love the people that I meet, I love putting organisations together that can uh, and I find it in time at many times by putting these organisations together they can have much more strength in their applications for funding and then I'll come in behind them and support them so yeah, it's something I really enjoy doing and I love making a difference. Beautiful. What drives you every day, Susan? Uh, it's, well, when you've been as sick as me, and I have been very close to death, I've been in hospital quite a few times and I've been in intensive care for weeks. When I was lying in intensive, or actually prior to then when I had cancer and I was given a very slim chance of survival, I thought, well, I'm going to change my life. 
if I want to live a little, little longer because I was very unhealthy, very unfit, too busy worrying about everybody else, not worrying about myself. And then when I was rushed to hospital for open heart surgery with five blockages and in hospital for many weeks in intensive care, I made a decision that if I was given a chance to survive and get out of it, and I was, was not a very good, my kidneys had failed and I was just very sick, very, very sick. If I was given a chance to have another crack at life, I was going to do just that. And I did have another crack at life and I'm still doing that. But um, if it wasn't for four incredible specialists, one being a woman who gave it to me very straight, um, if I didn't change my life, I wouldn't be living much longer. And you asked me the question, what keeps me going? Well, I had too many things to do and to achieve, particularly medical research, when I saw Australia was at the cutting edge of so many new developments in cancer and diabetes. I knew I had to change my life and I did. And the story goes, well, I lost an incredible amount of weight. And I think Shelley may have seen that over the years. Lost an incredible amount of weight. I've now got more energy, more joy to be than I've ever had in my whole life. I love life. Every, As you say, I said to you, I woke up at four o'clock this morning. I've got too much happening in my life. I'm not gonna waste a moment. I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. So that when I do die, um, and we don't last forever, I'll leave a lasting legacy for this country, for our children, and for the whole of Australia. And that that's all I need. I don't need a lot of thanks. I don't need a lot of recognition. That's just come along the way. I never sought it, never sought recognition. I just wanted to make a difference. And when I look back now in retrospect over those 40 years, I think, boy, I can't believe it. But the one thing that really I'm very happy about, satisfied, I guess you could say, 60% of our researchers in this country are women, women. And they were given a raw deal. They were not given the recognition that they should have been given. Well, that's something I've changed the attitude to, particularly at St. Vincent's Institute. Uh, we now have a fund set up for women that can go off and have their families. Laboratory assistant comes in, looks after their work whilst they're on maternity leave. Then they come back slot into the position. So that is something that I really feel very, very satisfied about, that women in medical research are now given that opportunity. It's following suit through our other universities and like Walter and Eliza and Monash, they're all doing the same. And so it should be. They shouldn't have to ask for this, but anyhow, mm. we're providing this now for them, you know, childcare at the Institute. You know, we want our bright women to continue doing what they do best still having their families. It was so hard for me. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have any superannuation, no maternity leave. I had nothing. But that was me in the 60s. It's changed now. So women in sport, women in business, women in science. So my greatest satisfaction has been, has been to see women given opportunities they were not given back when I was in the 60s. So to me, it's very rewarding. That's all I need, just to see women given the opportunity Susan, I must say you have touched and impacted so many thousands of people's lives and many people who might not even realise that, you know, you have actually impacted their life. Um, but for me, the thing that I gain so much from you is your incredible resilience. In the face of what must have been over your time, many different moments of extreme grief. Um, and I think that women, you know, to be a woman is to know what it is to have loss. Um, so I just wonder, how, how do you pick up the pieces and keep going when you have faced such grief? 
Well, I think, as I said before, it goes back to my childhood. Uh, it was a very tough childhood when I was, my very best friend was raped and murdered. And up that same path, I used to go every night on my father's particular night. It was a bit dark and I was coming home from work a bit late. And he said, wait for me. And she didn't. And she took off and she was murdered. And I guess it sort of started from my childhood that I had to be tough. I had to be resilient. Um, Didn't necessarily turn the other cheek. My father taught me a lot of things about life um, and what to some of the pitfalls. And I, I learned from a very early age what could be in front of me. And I guess it started from when I was a child uh, to be tough and resilient and not take no for an answer. And um, and I'm not a quitter and I don't ever take no for an answer. If I haven't got a solution for a problem, I'll go away and I'll think about it to see how I can come up with a solution for the problem that I've got. When you have the loss that I've had, I mean, I lost it. I lost my mother, my father, my husband, and my daughter, all within a space of twelve months. And I thought, I can't take this any longer. I'd lost my faith as well. Church didn't mean a thing to me. I just nothing was of comfort to me. Um, I lost my best friend, my daughter, who I adored. She was the most beautiful girl. She was smart. Um, we both grew up by the time she was 18, we started to communicate. I mean, we were at one another's throat. She had diabetes, it was difficult for her. She was um, an achiever. Uh, anything Danielle worked at, she knew. If she worked at it, she'd, she'd be successful. Just like a mum, work at it and you'll be successful. And watching her deteriorate and then eventually dying in my arms, that really, really destroyed me. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't in the back room crying my heart out. Uh, I just didn't do it in public. And then, of course, my husband being killed by that drug-affected driver. He was my best friend um, and he was, we were business partners. We were married for a long time. I'd learned so much from him. He was such a teacher as well. Um, so I really lost the two main people in my life. And I was then out there on my own, thrust into a position, as I said before, of leadership that I really had never been trained for, but I certainly learned very quickly because I had so many people looking into me for their livelihood. So I just couldn't give up. I just couldn't let those people down. Um, and it, it took a while. I can assure you it took a while. Mm. Um, and I still do cry and I look at, I look at photos of my daughter and my husband and wonder where we would be today if we're all still together. And Danielle had, so much oh, so much she wanted to do in her life and she didn't achieve it but I know that she would be incredibly proud of her mother mm. um, not long before she died she wrote me a note we were in New York and um, apart from the story about I'll tell you that in a moment but she wrote me a note and I never really knew how she thought about me I knew we were close and she said mum she said you're the most remarkable mother you put up with so much I just want you to know how much I love you. And this was under the door in a hotel. She left this note. And she'd just come out of hospital from having eye surgery and her eyes were deteriorating and to an artist. That is dreadful. And and I came home and left her there because she couldn't fly, not realising how ill she was. I didn't know she was dying. She kept it from me. A couple of weeks before she died, she rang me and she said, Mum, have you written a book? She already asked me that when she was at university and I said, oh, Danielle, who want to hear about me? And she said, Mum, there are a lot of young women here who'd love to hear about your life. would really encourage them. 
to really, you know, push on with their lives and their work and their study. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was never going to do it. And two weeks before she died, she rang me and she said, Mum, have you ever written that book? I said, no. She said, promise me one day you'll do it. And she said, and by the way, she said, Mum, you're a walking hypocrite. Have a look at yourself. You're on an advisory committee in diabetes and you're morbidly obese, blah, blah, blah. Mm. You know what? She was right. I didn't realise. I didn't want to acknowledge. I was too busy looking after everybody else. It was my daughter, two weeks before she died, that gave it to me, really. It was very tough what she said to me. And I was a walking hypocrite. How could I tell other people what to do when I myself was not looking after myself? So you ask why I'm tough. You ask why I'm resilient. You know, my daughter, she struggled till the day she died and she had so much to look forward to. Uh, she was so talented. And yet I'm, I've been given another opportunity to continue on. So I'm not going to um, knock the chances I've been given. I'm going to continue doing it. I've always done, God willing. So long as I've got the strength, the resources and the wherewithal to do it, I'll keep on doing it. Not in Danielle's memory, but she was a super, super young lady. Oh, Susan, we're so grateful to you for sharing so much of your story with us today. And this Saturday, when those girls run out onto the field for the AFLW Grand Final, um, what a glorious moment that is. And I'm sure that you gain such great satisfaction from that. I'll be there. I'll be there. Don't you worry. I'll be there. We must ask you, who's your tip? Who's your tip between Adelaide and Brisbane? Oh, I don't like to tip the two teams because I love all the girls. I've got 600,000 young women out there that I love and I just want them all to be successful. It's a difficult one. Um, you know, I think maybe Brisbane. Okay. I, I understand. Like Craig Stasevich. I remember I like when I was He's a really good coach. He was on the committee with me all those years ago and we gave out the licences and I thought, Oh, you're a cut above the rest. I really do like your strategy, and uh, I think maybe Brisbane, maybe. But I don't. Mm. I, I just want them to come a draw. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want the body play, but I can't help it. Well, Susan Alberti, thank you so much for your time today and for all that you have done for AFLW. It has it means so much to women and girls all around oh, Australia. Well, I'm happy to do it, and I'll continue doing it. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. Thank you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need 
and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere. Every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2 a.m. existential crisis? <laughs> We've got you covered. Broad Radio. Here for more. Shelley, what an extraordinary woman Susan Alberti is. She's one of the best, you know, she mentors, she loves everybody in her space and she's so generous. She's such a beautiful woman. It's true. And on our Facebook, we've had a lot of people commenting saying she's one of the greatest. In In fact, Katrina is suggesting, is there anything Susan hasn't done? And Michelle replies, there should be a statue of her. Wouldn't that be good? Yes, or possibly an award in the AFLW named after her, I also read. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. So AFLW Grand Final is this weekend and you and I both posed the question yesterday on our respective Twitter feeds. Uh, What do you love about the AFLW? And, well, I must ask you, what is it you love about AFLW? It's the same thing I love about the AFLM, that dreams come true. I love that people put in the effort and they're rewarded and I love the excitement that you see within them and the fact that now in the AFLW we have these amazing women that children can look up to and aspire to be just like them. It's it's really true. You just see... Uh, the crowd is full of young girls just with stars in their eyes watching someone play, thinking maybe that might be me one day. And I remember when it started and my daughter and her and my nephew, her cousin, um, they're the same age and they would play kick to kick. And it was always they'd commentate themselves at the MCG, you know, in a male, in a male league. I love my, it. My daughter, oh, yeah. you know, she couldn't do that in a way that really felt meaningful. But as soon as AFLW came along, suddenly she could. That's right. That's right. And now we're finding young boys, their favourite players are AFLW players. So it's brilliant. What do you love about AFLW? Um, Well, it is definitely just that, you know, they're there as role models for girls and suddenly a whole new way of dreaming has been opened up for our girls. But I really love the style of footy. It feels very no-nonsense to me. It feels like they just get in there and play with no fuss. Yeah, I love that. And I also love that when you talk to them, there's no nonsense as well. Mm. When you interview them, you're not getting the, oh, you know, it's every every week is a special week or whatever. <laughs> the AFLM people go on about, you know, we've got to take it one week at a time. <laughs> we don't get that. We get the truth, which is what I love. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They haven't learnt yet to deflect the questions. Well, we did ask, we asked on our Twitter feeds and I was going to share with you a couple that I really loved and in a moment we're going to get to some phone calls as well. Um, we got from Ash uh, and I will say lots of men are loving the sport and to, to assume that the only people there watching are women and girls is I really think it's reductive and it's not true at all. Um, and we hear from uh, Ash, he says he loves the speed of the outside run. Some of the lighter running players seem to glide over the field and it is a different style of the men's games and it's a really enjoyable thing to watch. And we got a we got a tweet from someone in Scotland who's been watching AFLW. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And he says he loves the fact that even teams who were 30 points down with two minutes to go were still going at it hammer and tongs, which is true. They don't give up, do they? They do not give up. They just keep going and going and going. We've got that exciting AFLW grand final 
this weekend. And, you know, who thought we were going to make the finals, but here we are. Here we are. It is really great. Now we are going to go to some phone calls now because you can call 1300-8-BROAD or it's 1300-827-623. Welcome to the show. Hi there, Jude. Hi. Hi, Shell. Hi, love. What do you, Hello. What do you love about football? I love um, that the uh, younger girls that are watching can um, think that they can actually play football in the future. Um, that, um, you know, it's not just the boys, that they can only go so far, that they can then continue on and go all the way to the top. Beautiful. It's absolutely, I think, one of the key awesome things about AFLW and not to be discounted. You know, exactly you... right, exactly right, that they don't get stopped at a certain point, that they can continue and go right to the top. Awesome. Thanks so much for the call, Jude. Thank you. Bye. 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 Good morning, Pep. Hi, how are you doing? What is it that you love about AFLW? Uh, I love that you can turn up, um, you can watch the power and the talent of the incredible athletes and be your authentic self, regardless of your race, gender, sexuality, disability or religious persuasion, that, that diversity is absolutely celebrated. Yeah, I think you're right. That There's a real feel in the crowd that there's just uh, all different kinds of people and, and everyone's welcomed. Absolutely. Uh, a feeling that you don't mm. tend to get at the men's footy. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. <laughs> Why don't you think we get that at the men's footy, I wonder? No idea, but uh, I think everyone's just super excited to, to be there and seeing these incredible women athletes just out there doing their thing. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Broad Radio this morning, Pep. No worries. So, all right, Shelley, what's your pick for the game this Saturday? Oh, it's a hard one. I don't know. I, I, I was stuck with the Adelaide Crows and now with Chelsea Randall out because of the concussion rule, I'm a little bit wishy, but... I think Brisbane might have got hit too hard by the Pies. So I am going to stick with Adelaide. Yourself? Uh, My tip is Adelaide as well because uh, having watched the game on Saturday and being kind of heartbroken that we lost by four points against Brisbane, they were playing very hard. Um, But I think Adelaide, you know, they're pretty dominant this year. They're masters at what they do. Absolutely. All right, well, uh, we can't wait for the game on Saturday. And um, in just a moment, we're going to be joined by Bev Killick, hilarious comedian um, who has a tale to tell, I must say, about what happened to her recently live on stage. That's after this. Well, we did have Beth Killick due to appear on Broad Radio only a couple of weeks ago, but unfortunately she had to cancel at the very last minute for the very good reason that the night before she had had a stroke. Can you believe it? And she joins us now. She's okay, it seems. <laughs> Hi, Bev. It, it does actually sound quite ridiculous when you when you say it like that because I, I can remember when um, when when Pippa uh, phoned me in the morning just to get the brief and and talk about uh, what we were going to say, I had to leave the conversation because I couldn't talk to her properly. And I just thought it was because it was, um, you know, just having woken up. But it turns out, um, no, I was sort of, that was the day that I had the stroke, that Friday. Oh, really? So the, the beginnings of oh. it was there, just in that preemptive interview with her. Okay, so... 
tell us, I mean, it's, it's sort of a story that you've told a few times, I know, because, I mean, it is extraordinary. What happens when you're having a stroke on stage? Well, I didn't know that I was having a stroke on stage. Um, I just thought that I was losing my words and I, I wasn't sure what was going on. It wasn't really until afterwards when I was diagnosed with a scan at about 2.30 in the morning. So on stage, all my language centre in my brain had started to just go. So I couldn't recall words like uh, pram. So my, my jokes, uh, I was just like, you know, the thing you push along with the kids? <laughs> uh, so uh, you know what it's like, Joe, with a, as a comedian, if you can't... If you can't recall the actual words, you're not going to get the punchline. No. So I just did crowd. I did crowd work. Um, and somehow, rather, I ended up doing twenty minutes. Oh my god! Wow, that's I'm impressive. But if that can happen to me, where I lose my words and I try and explain something, at what point did you realise there was something actually seriously wrong? When uh, Nazim and Dane stuck their head around the corner in the in the curtain I just, and they were staring at me. I was like, oh, there's something not quite right here. And I, I kept looking for an out, like how can I get off stage? But um, I just kept going. I don't know how I kept going. And the pe people were just staring at me, strangely. <laughs> oh, my God. I, this I is... could do really old jokes. Okay. Okay. So it, your brain went back in time. Yeah. I could do, like, stuff that I first started with. Like, I'm still a little bit slurry now, but it's interesting what happens. Like, last night I did Up Front. Remember Up Front, Joe? Yes, it's the greatest night oh, and it's all female comedy. Um, oh. And, yeah, it's like a big old gala with just chicks. It's the best. It's so exhilarating. And I just found myself just standing there and I just had no nerves and... Just, Great. I'm really enjoying being up there. In a There's different way. really powerful. It really, it's really interesting. So that is so strange. So are you saying that because you went through that experience that you seem to have less nerves or you're just more in the moment or what's going on there, for you? There's pretty much none. It's so weird. Um, I just walked on stage last night in front of, I think it's 1,500 people didn't care it's like i'm just gonna have fun with this and that's not like me I'm, I'm normally pacing and and going out of my brain and making sure i have to get everything right i'm real perfectionist no i just have none it's like yep here we go on stage and that was with my solo show as well there was a guy in the crowd that was doing like a basil brush laugh <laughs> and it was so annoying and i'm like how how the hell am I going to deal with this? And I just did. It was just, just dealt with them. But I feel like it's the best way to live, Bev. It's a bit like something you've, you've regained this, this sense of strength about you from your stroke. But, uh, but that's the same with a lot of, you know, with, through adversity we do grow. But it's also, I'm, I'm just going to take the bull by the horns and just enjoy every moment. Um, because... I actually do feel okay. I feel fine in my brain. Um, so, like, last night I went, you know what, I'm going to treat myself, got myself a hotel, just just treating myself, trying to look after myself. 
um, had a little wine. That was nice. <laughs> as you should. <laughs> so are you, do you think you've had like as close to a near-death experience maybe and it shifted your perspective? I think that might be what happened. Yeah. Wow. I have had, yeah. When, and when they're, um, when they're in your brain extracting, yeah. you can see all these prisms and colours and but the brain really? is incredible, right? So they're actually touching and pulling out and you can see shapes. It's it, bizarre. What was that like? Can you imagine? So you were awake like the whole time? I was awake and I could hear them talking wow. the whole bit. And they, they were getting really excited when they got one bit. They go, yeah, we got that bit. <laughs> and I'm just... I had no sense of time. I had no, and I couldn't quite figure out how they were going up through my groin. That was odd, mm. and I, I wasn't sure whether they'd started the operation yet because I wasn't really listening <laughs> of how they were going to do things. But inside your head is the most incredible thing. It's the most incredible stuff going on in there. Like if you close your eyes and and push your eyelids in, you only get all the colours and like snowflakes and blurs and pixels. Um, that's what's happening in there all the time. Wow, wow! That explains is... a lot. Yeah, and they actually pulled out the bit where I was being mucked around. Oh and my god! Unbelievable. Yeah, that is unbelievable. They do this. So they they ask you your name, they ask you your name, your date of birth, uh, where you're from, all this sort of stuff. And I first said my name is Beverly Johnson, which is huh? my birth name, mm-hmm. and I'm from Mundingborough, which is a house I lived at in Townsville. And when they asked me the date, I went, "How am I supposed to know?" <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and they won't let you go until you get everything right. Wow. Um, so now yeah. what are you going to do with this newfound perspective of life? Are you, I mean, are you going to go off and start a new hobby or chuck in your life and do something else? No, I love comedy too much. I love comedy too much. And, um, well, I'm going to embrace how it is now in Comedy right now for women is absolutely exhilarating. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I first started, and you'd remember this, Joe, um, you wore pants. You tried to do what the blokes do. You had to sort of, you know, you had to be better than good. Now it's just like, yes. just do it. Get on with it. Wear a skirt. Wear makeup. Don't wear makeup. It doesn't matter. You, just be yourself. Be whatever a woman, whatever it means to you to be a woman up there, just be that. You don't have to, um, I don't know, I, I don't have to change my, my authentic self anymore. Um, I, got, I can be as loud and as rude as I want. <laughs> i got to say, Bev, I mean, I have known you for decades and you are someone who I cannot believe ever was not your authentic self because I used to look at you and think, why is she like that? And I'm so consumed with self-doubt. Well, there you go. Maybe, um, you know, this 
this next uh, journey is going to blow everyone away. <laughs> there, were, <laughs> there were parts of me, Joe, where I had to keep, you know, I'd come home and I'd feel bad for being so naughty or for being so rude. Or, and I think a lot of it was shock, shock value. I would do a lot of things to shock. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I really just... I just really want to be able to do these things without guilt, uh, mm. say all the things that I want to say without guilt um, and just, yeah, and for the blokes just, you know, like I'll do ships and whatever and a lot, and a lot of men come up and say, yeah, you, I don't usually like women, I don't usually like female comedians but you're okay and you're a bit rude for a woman <laughs> and it's like the guy that was just on was so vulgar, but in mm. somehow rather in comparison, you're really rude. Yeah, yeah. Am not I okay? Sense? Not okay. <laughs> Complete sense. Now, Bev, I saw you at the Jean Hales. <laughs> I saw you at the Jean Hales Women's House Week Comedy Gala, and you were absolutely hysterical. I'd literally nearly wet my pants. I want to thank you for the oh, continents no. pad that was in the gift bag. <laughs> you're the continents <laughs> champion. Tell us how this developed. How did this happen? They were looking for someone to represent um, Continence Foundation that was my age and uh, and had maybe had some problems before and there could just be a spokesperson for it. And I think at their very first board meeting, um, about five hands went up and said, Bev Killick. And um, I just went and I ended up writing the jokes for it and, um, the ads for it and it, I, I mean I got so much from it I mean I got some really good money which was great and um, and lived uh, quite comfortably for you know the next couple of years just doing that campaign so it was a win-win for sure <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I ended up um, um, through the course of doing uh, physio and whatever so that I could talk about it properly um, I'm now uh, recovered. I don't wet myself uh, when I cough. I can jump on a trampoline. I'm fine. Are you joking? Oh. I didn't know that was I'm possible. Because <laughs> I, 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 I will not jump on a trampoline. Even on stage oh. last night, I would normally, you know, have an excited wee. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Wow. So it does work. The pelvic floor exercise work. We would have thought all this time they've been telling us. And we're not listening. It absolutely works. You've got to be able to do them correctly. And you've got to be able to do them in different positions. So you do them in lying down positions, standing up, sitting. So, and you've got to do them in reps. So you can't just do one and then make a cup of tea. You've got to do reps. Like, Wow. So yeah. <laughs> how long? <laughs> Ten reps and then a break. But oh it's about squeezing in and then up. Oh. In, up. I mean, are we all doing it right now? Are you doing it right now, Ro? We're all doing it. In and up, in and up. <laughs> it's not just good for um, for, uh continents. It's uh, Sarah Harris puts it. It's good for hugging your hubby. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I imagine that you've got teeny tiny dumbbells that you're able to lift now. <laughs> I love that. I love that. 
a mad world where you front this campaign and you're willing to, you know, fib a bit and go, oh, yeah, it worked for me. And then it ends up it does. Wow. Um, it's crazy, really. <laughs> but, yeah, I just became known as the wee, the wee woman. I was like, oh, that's the wee woman. You know, and now I'm, I'm the Mars bar woman or the, the, the burly bra woman, the cold, the tuna woman. Well, now you'll be known yeah, as now, now you'll be known as the woman who had a stroke on stage and recovered. It's extraordinary. Bev, we have to get going, but um, what an incredible story you have to tell. Um, and where can we see you next? Because I know that your comedy festival show has finished. Uh, you just have to look at my page because I don't quite know either. <laughs> <laughs> on my Facebook page, <laughs> or I'm with A List Entertainment. Yeah. Okay. Um, on their website. We will. Oh, I'm at the Sydney Comedy Festival. Oh, there you go. When oh, are you doing the Sydney? When are you doing the Sydney Comedy Festival? Eighth and ninth of May at the Enmore. I'm doing my show, Don't Tell Tony, which is all my naughty stories that haven't made it through to his ears. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, really, yeah, quite rank stuff. <laughs> and this is the new fearless Bev Killick, so do get out and see her for the Sydney Comedy Festival. Thanks so much, Bev. It's just been a delight to speak with you, and I'm glad that we got you on the show eventually. And I'm really happy Thank you're okay. You. I'm so happy. Yeah, oh. take care. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what about that, Shelley? Who knew? Yeah. Who knew that we'd be doing our Kegels Who live knew? on... <laughs> Who knew? This is a show for women. <laughs> it really is. Do you know what? We have one more phone call that we can get to on Broad Radio this morning who uh, she uh, wanted to call and tell us what she loves about AFLW because, of course, we're heading into the grand final on Saturday. Um, let's say hello to Kat. Hi there, Kat. How are you, Joe? Oh, it's so lovely to see you. Oh, see you. I am seeing you on the screen right now drinking a lovely beer oh. at the footy. <laughs> that was That's me favorite. in the leg room on Saturday. <laughs> And that was with um, Angus, who's uh, a fellow Ruby Demon with me. Uh, Ruby Demon is, of course, a fan club, a fan group, I guess, for oh, well, the Ds. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a support group within the Melbourne Football Club for that supports LGBTI members. Absolutely adorable. Look at you two having the time of your life. What is it that you love about AFLW? I love the sense of community. I love the fact that, I mean, I, um, what Susan was saying earlier about with the exhibition matches, the sense of community and how with, amongst the support in particular, there's, there's a shared um, desire to see this succeed and, and there's no animosity amongst supporters. Everyone is just so supportive. It doesn't matter who you barrack for. Uh, and that's something you don't necessarily... I love men's football as well as women's, but with the men's you do see a lot of, you know, my club's better than yours sort of thing, but you don't get that with AFLW. Everyone just seems so supportive of the fact that We've got our own competition now and, um, and there, there, there is that opportunity for girls coming through and there's just, just that shared desire to see it succeed and there's, it, it's always such a positive atmosphere when you go to a game, whether you win, whether you lose. Um, yeah, it, everyone just seems to love the fact that the competition is happening and, it, it, and it's just that sensitive, positive vibe about it. Yeah. yeah wonderful. Well, we can't wait for the uh, grand final this Saturday. I believe you're going to be there, Shelley. I am. I get to go. I got invited to the function and then get to watch the game. Oh, very so nice. thank you to the AFL for that. Yeah. It's special. I, yeah. I could be there. <laughs> I know. Kat, who are you picking out of uh, Adelaide oh, look, and Brisbane? I, 
I would love it if Brisbane won it. I do tend to think, though, that Adelaide are just so strong at the moment. You can't... Ebony Marinoff, I'm a Melbourne supporter. Ebony Marinoff just absolutely killed Melbourne in the midfield on Saturday. And mm. I think Adelaide are just going to be too strong. But I'd love it to, if Brisbane got up there um, because, mm. you know, that just the way that Brisbane go about it is just really lovely to watch. Yes. Shelley, you have an amazing time over there in Adelaide. And thanks so much for calling us, Kat. Not a problem, Joe. Thank you so much. And I'm a huge fan of both of you. Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks it's lovely. Kat. Yeah. And uh, it's lovely to have you as a part of Broad Radio today. Absolutely. And Shelley, it's been awesome to have you with me on the show. I know we don't get to do it that often because we've got to, we've got to nab you when it's school holidays. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me and thanks for nabbing me. Yeah, okay. Will you take care and give my love to those AFLW girls on the weekend? I will. I'll cheer nice and loud for you. Take care. We'll see you next week on Broad Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.